Well, welcome. I'm glad that you're here today at Church Project. If you're a first-time guest, uh, just, just welcome. We're a church. We're a gathering of people that love Jesus, and we love the mission of Jesus in this world. It's a pretty good mission. And we're also a project. We're an ongoing pursuit to discover what Christ intended church to be. And so when we open up the scripture and we look at the New Testament church and we read back on what the church was, we see that when Jesus commissioned this people called the church, that he did a couple things. And and we saw that weekly the, the disciples, the followers of Christ, would gather together corporately in the synagogues and they would worship God and they would study scripture and they would pray and they would talk. So we have our Sunday gatherings. We do that same thing. We also see that we, and read about the early church, how they, they broke that down into smaller groups and they met in communities and homes throughout their community. They, they prayed together, they worshiped together, they broke bread together, they prayed over each other, they shared their good stuff and walked through the bad stuff, they did life together. And so we do that with house churches. And I'd encourage everyone, man, get in a house church, you're welcome to a house church anytime, just show up. And then the the third thing that we really see that the church did well in the New Testament church that we really try to emulate and copy is that they met needs everywhere that they went. And that's pretty cool. You know, sometimes a piece of bread goes a long way, you know? And they met needs everywhere that they went. And so we, we partner with effective ministries for the cause of Christ locally and globally. So if you've ever given a penny of your money to Church Project, a good portion of that goes right back out to ministry partnerships. That's Church Project. That's what we do. And one other thing that we do is we're expository teaching. So we go verse by verse through, through books of the Bible. And a few months ago, we took a pause from doing that. We just ended the book of Acts. Now we're going through the parables of Jesus. It's been fun going through the parables of Jesus. It's like sitting, Jesus having coffee with us today, sitting down in this room and saying, listen, guys, I want, I want ladies, guys, y'all, I'll just say it that way. I want, I want to talk about something today. And so each one of these parables, my prayer is that as God is talking to us each today, if, if the Holy Spirit's prodding anything in our life that, that needs to be changed, that we would say, God, my prayer is that if you reveal anything in my life that needs to change, I'll come under your lordship in my life. I'll, I'll move my habits. I'll, I'll change my words. I'll, I'll get a different posture in my heart. God, like, speak to me. And my prayer is that when he speaks to us today, and maybe he convicts us that we would align ourselves to his lordship. And so I pray this over our lives today. It's in Psalms 25, verses 4 through 5. God, show me your way. Show us your ways. Teach us your paths and guide us in your truth. Teach us, for you are God, our Savior, and our hope is in you all day long. Amen. Let's look at the passage today. Um, It's actually, the the parable we're looking at is the barren fig tree, and it's in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. So we're looking at three verses. If you have your YouVersion Bible app, it's free. You can download it, follow the notes um, for that. All the notes are on there. But here's how I kind of want to set this up, okay? When I'm looking at this passage, this is a hard parable to read through. Have have any of you pre-read this? You're like, I I pre-read it. Let's see where this goes. Yeah, okay, it's hard. Here's how I want to set it up, okay? How many of you think of God as some cosmic dude that just kicks our butt occasionally? There's one viewpoint. A cosmic God just kicking our butt. And there's, an, there's an also this symphony of grace God. 
He's like dancing in the symphony of grace. There's, when you read scripture and you study God, you, you see that there's a just God. He's a just God. And the scripture says there's, no, there's not one worthy. No, not even one. Like he's a just God. But yet he also dances and he parallels with this thing called grace. And it's his kindness that leads men and women to repentance and so you see this, this God that can kick butt. I'm glad we got a God that kicks butt. But I'm also glad that we have a God that walks in the symphony of grace. And sometimes when we're looking at scripture and we're going through life, it's hard to experience both of those things. And both of those things are God. And we need to encounter those things and hold those things closely and just relish what God is showing us and teaching us in our life. And so... As I, as, I'm, as I read this, and I'm going to give us some context as well, one of the contexts is Jesus is talking to a whole group of people, Pharisees, professional you know, Christians that got their stuff together, and, I, and they're, tra- they're trying to trap Jesus. Some of them are trying to trap Jesus, but some of the people, as Jesus is teaching this, this parable, they are literally stuck in religion, and all they can see is law. Like you have the master of grace speaking and all, you're, all you can do is you're stuck in religion and you, all you can do is focus on the law. So this is one of the contexts when Jesus is speaking to this. A big context for these, this parable is in Luke chapter 13 verses 1 through 5. So I'm going to read that and then we'll get to our parable. So Luke chapter 13 verses 1 through 5. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will also perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Verse 5, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. There is so much in this context. And as you go back and you really start studying and thinking and you go into the Old Testament, there's so much in here that we can unpack. Like, for example, in verse 4, it talks about 18. And then the the number 18. And then we get down to the parable right after the one we're talking about today in verse 11. It mentions 18 again. Interesting. And one of the concepts that people have kind of written about that is this time a lot of the teaching was an oral tradition. It was passed on word of mouth, stories. And so Jesus uses this 18 in both parables so it's easy to remember because he knows that there's people like me, dyslexic, that would be like, there were 81. Wait, no, the 18. Like, okay, easy to remember. There's so many things that you can get into when you're looking at numerology or you're looking at different things or you're looking at the context of this. Like, this is a hard, hard passage. That's the context that sets it up. Now let's get into the parable, all right? So everyone, come around. Jesus has got a good cup of coffee. He probably got it from Bindle. Really good coffee, okay. And he's talking to us today. But some of us, we're stuck in law. And we're not quite getting this grace thing a whole lot. Okay? And it's interesting that this is what he says to us. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9 is the parable. Then he told this parable. 
A young man, a young man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fig on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up all the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, and then cut it down. Anyone want to give this message? I'm like, this is a good, wow. Here you see a just God dancing in a symphony of grace. And as we begin to unpack this, you have to think about the totality of Scripture, and you got to think of from Genesis to Revelations and what God's doing and the things that are true and real. And when you look at the totality of Scripture, Images, God uses many images in the Old Testament and the New Testament of plants, right? Of trees, of vines, and of fruit. And sometimes it talks about good fruit, abundance fruit, but sometimes scripture talks about the lack of fruit in our life. And so when he's using this analogy of figs, it's something that the church has already understood. And as if we read our Bibles, we also get it too, that God loves to use this analogy because we can understand it. We can understand that there's fruit, that's good. When there's not, that could be bad, right? Cut it down. And if I, if I were God, God help us all. Wait, Aaron help us all. I don't know how to say that. If I, if I were God, I would be... A pretty mean God, I think. I'd be like, no fruit, no coffee for you. Coffee's for closers, right? No, I'd be like, I would be that way. But I'm so glad Bill got that. Yeah, there you go, Bill. And Kendall definitely got that. Okay. But I'm so glad we have a God that is filled with grace and does not actually count my performance as like a tally mark for Aaron's better today. Or my lack of performance as a tally mark that Aaron's not so good today. Thank you, God, for your symphony of grace in my life. We often quote um, Klein Snodgrass, who's this brilliant theologian who studied parables a lot. And so I'm just going to say, read this book. It's really good, okay? So don't say I'm stealing this and using it as my own. This is, this is Klein Snodgrass, okay? So here you go. Here's what he says. He says, unproductive plants are frequently images of the unfaithful nations or individuals. And when he says this, I, th- I think of Jeremiah eight thirteen, which is, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. What I have given them, they will, it will be taken from them. And so you hear of a God that's like, I'm a just God. I've given you responsibility. There's no fruit. Gone. I'm a just God. God, so you have that, like that's, that's the kind of God I would be probably all the time. And, and then we see the destruction of vines and fig trees is a metaphor for judgment. And so when, this, when the fig tree and the vine is being destru- destructed and destroyed, it's a metaphor of judgment. Reminds me of Jeremiah twenty nine seventeen, which says this, yes, 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plagues against them, and I will make them like figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. And so here you get this. If this is the only picture we get of God, you're like, man, you are a rough God. And a lot of people are stuck at, during this time when he's teaching with an image of a rough God. I've got to hold up the Mishnah. I've got to hold up every law, and I've got to do it every day. And if not, I'll go sacrifice goats or doves or whatever to make it right. Like, because this is the God that I'm picturing. Some of us today, we're still stuck in this performance God that's like, I will strike you and smite you unless you perform well. And so, as he's sitting and he's teaching and he's given this parable, I want us to, again, hear the symphony of grace that God is dancing over our lives with. There's three things, that, there's two really thoughts when it comes to this parable that the church historically has fallen in in regards to this parable. So you, you read theologians and different history of church and there's, there's two real categories that you fall on. The first is this, throughout history, um, people have said, in fact, Obros, who's a theologian, said this, he interpreted this passage as the Jewish people. So Jesus is literally talking about the Jewish people in this passage. So if Jesus is teaching about the Jewish people in this passage, the fig tree is, is like a representation of the synagogue, and the three times God was looking for fruit, okay, came back three times looking for fruit, is the equivalent of Abraham and Moses with the law and finally the incarnation of Jesus. And three times he came back with all three of those and saw no fruit. And so the judgment is against the Jewish people. That's one train of thought that a lot of people have fallen in. Another train of thought was actually produced by Augustine, okay, kind of like him theologian, and he interpreted this as the vineyard, as the world, and the fig tree as the human race, and the gardener as the people in the church. Let me say that again. He's interpreted this, Augustine interpreted this as the vineyard, as the world. So you see the vineyard is the world. And the fig tree as the human race, us. And the gardener as the people in the church, each and every one of us. So the three times that the owner came back and was looking for fruit, and there was no fruit, was before the law, was under the law, and then under grace. And every time the owner came back, the farmer came back, the owner came back and said, there's no fruit. The law didn't produce grace, and freedom from the law didn't produce fruit. What am I to do? I'm going to cut it down. And Jesus steps in and goes, whoa, 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 give me a year. Let me work, let me toil, let me, toil. Let, me, let me put some energy here. I would say currently, as we sit in 2019, and I like this interpretation of this parable, this is where a lot of people fall on it. Currently, the popular thought is that, that this is the thing, this is a warning for the repentance for the church at large. So this parable, I believe, is a warning for repentance for the church at large. Now, I could be wrong. I don't think so, but I might be. Probably, I'm probably wrong. Talk about it at a house church. But that's what I think he's talking about. 
As I, I wasn't there when Jesus was talking, I don't really know the context, but if I look at the totality of scripture, I can go, oh, if Jesus was talking to the Jewish people, then he was saying, repent. Like, you're not under the law, there's grace. I get that, right? And I can take that same message, and so as we zoom it all the way out to 2019, I think what Jesus was saying there is the same thing he's saying right now, and that's church, like, repent. Repent. Isn't that a good message? Turn from your evil and your wicked ways. Turn from the things that are not my ideals for you. Like stop finding your identity in things that are just passing and fleeting and temporary. Like there's hope, there's love, there's grace. And I can get this message, but I get this message not just with a God that wants to smite me, but I get it with the message of hope and grace and love for a God that hasn't given up on me. He loves me so much that he's like, Aaron, we're good. Like, we're rocking, man. It's a good day. By the way, I want to work on your heart on something because I love you, and you're just going to see the world differently, and you're going to love the world differently. If, if you would, I'm going to give you a little conviction about this. And if I'm listening to it, I, I don't see that as God going, bam, bam, but I see that as God going, I love you, and I want you to be more like me. Like, pay attention and see the world this way. And so repentance, don't see this as us ripping our shirts and putting ashes on our head and mourning and crying and being down in the dumps. We see it as God filled with grace coming and going, I don't want you this way. I have better things for you. And so when God comes and he convicts our heart, we see it as a loving move from a grace-filled God, a symphony of grace that we get to walk in. Amen. The question I have for us right now is, what is the fruit of your plant? Your life, your heart. What is the fruit of your plant? And I thank God so much for sending his son Jesus that says, just give me some time. Like, let me surround that person with other Christians and encourage them and love them. Don't cut them down. I'm not done with them. You're going to see how much I am loved because of them. Like, I died for them. And Jesus stands the gap between the owner that's like, I want to smite you and strike you. And Jesus goes, no. I love them. And I've died for them. So I thank God for sending his son, Jesus. It reminds me of Sodom. When you think back to the Old Testament, Sodom is on the brink of destruction and deserved to be destroyed because it was a gross, disgusting town filled with sin and lust and everything. Like Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham stands up and we see grace, a city that deserves total destruction and we see grace. Aaron Havens deserves total destruction and I receive grace. <laughs> Sometimes I choose not to walk in that, though. And so I want to produce a lot of good-looking fruit to earn my way to God. And God's like, no, nah, no, nah, you're never going to do that, man. It's a symphony of grace. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 says this. God's kindness, do you know God is kind? God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That doesn't say God the ruler with the iron fist is going to take you to repentance. It says, 
God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person accordingly to what they have done. And see this, you see this loving God because of his kindness. He wants us to turn and he wants us to change, but he's also a just God. He says, don't stay that way. I've got better for you, church. We see God's chosen people of Israel during the Old Testament time. They should have been super fruitful. And the fig that we often refer to in the Old Testament is a symbol of prosperity. And so when Jesus is teaching, he's saying, my, my Israelite people, my chosen people, you're, you should have so much fruit but I go to you and you have no fruit. It should have been evident. Instead, we see no fruit and judgment. What fruit do our lives produce? And how do we align our lives with God? Because the God that I know and the Jesus that I know cried over Jerusalem when he looked at Jerusalem. The Jesus that I know laments and mourns and longs and is loving. Luke chapter 13, verse 34 through 35 says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and it's Jesus. You who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings Jesus is crying out saying, I want to gather you, my people, my brothers and sisters under my wings. I long for that. I, I want that. But you weren't willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so I ask us today. Jesus is weeping over us, saying, Jerusalem, brothers and sisters, I long to be with you. But if you're anything like me, I'm like, thanks, God, but I'm going to run over here for a while. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not, I'm not going to wake up and seek you. I'm going to just run after my own pride and my own glory and whatever it may be. And he's like, good, but man, come over here. Like, come over here. Like, this is where I want you. And so church, as we sit here today, are you running from God gathering his hands and the love and the grace? Because he'll let you. He'll let you. Next week, you'll choose not to come. You'll choose not to be in a house church because of the Dallas Cowboys are that good. I get it. And then the week after that, and then the week after that, and then pretty soon we look up, we're not around Christian people anymore. We're not reading our Bible. We're not, I mean, Jesus is like, yeah, but that's not your ideal. Like, I'm going to let you run that way. I'm going to let you do the things you want to do in your life. But you know, you read scripture. I have the Holy Spirit. Like, come, come. I'm gathering you. I love you. And it's a symphony of grace. And when Jesus convicts our heart, may we be bold enough to say, God, I hear that. I understand that. And I change my ways today. Because Jesus is weeping over our lives. He has huge things planned for us. Isn't this a beautiful passage? 
The gospel includes judgment. The gospel includes mercy. Thank God for that. And the gospel is a call to repentance. And when all that aligns, you're going to see fruit. You're going to see it in each other, and you're going to see it in your life. And it's a beautiful symphony of grace in our life. And I say thank you, God, for your mercy, your judgment, your mercy, your repentance, and your fruit. Beautiful. So here's the deal. I've got a pretty cool name. It's Aaron, and you can remember it by A.A. Ron because that's what everyone says, right? But you look in, in Scripture, and one of the things that Aaron does is he holds up the arms of Moses as Moses is doing incredible things. Like, listen, I'm just a dude up here teaching because that's what God's called me to do. But there's a lot of people like making pizza or whiskey or teaching or whatever, wherever we go, that we are doing what God's called us to do. So may you not see me here in this monologue. May it be me pointing you to Jesus. And may you, as you're making pizza and whiskey and teaching and everything else, do the same thing. Like, we're not the hero of this. We're the people that are guiding people to Jesus because he's changed our life. And may people see the fruit of our life as we point others to him. And we get to celebrate being used by him. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? This is a beautiful message. And I hope that you receive it today. And I hope you go to the house churches and talk about this passage.